Well, welcome to New Spring Church, everyone. We're so glad that you're joining us today. We're going to start by singing a few songs together to a worthy Savior. He is good, He is kind, and He loves us. So let's sing to Him right now. Oh, Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness. You have filled me.
This is the time in our service when we receive the Lord's tithes and our offerings. And if you'd like to give to New Spring, you can do that by visiting newspring.org give. We wanna take this opportunity to say thank you. If you've given to New Spring during this season, your generosity means the world to us. Even though our physical doors have been closed, New Spring Church hasn't gotten smaller. It's grown, not only in the Wichita area, but in Kansas and around the world. And your gifts have made it all possible. So thank you for all you're doing. Stay tuned for some more music and the final message in our series, Signs of the Times. Here's what's coming up at New Spring this summer. We're presenting a special 4th of July celebration called Heal the Land online and on TV July 4th and 5th. Find out when and where you can watch at newspring.org slash July 4. Our campus will reopen the weekend of July 11th and 12th, and we can't wait to be together again. Continue checking newspring.org slash update to learn more. For more about what's happening at Newspring, visit newspring.org. Now, a look at our next message series. time and space existed, there was God, infinite, majestic, awesome, powerful, unimaginable. That's right. I've lived 63 years. I've known him since I was eight, and I still can't imagine him, except for in tiny installments. From my earliest memories, I've known his creation. In my mother's smile, in the grass and trees, the stars, the mountains, the ocean, the majesty of a Kansas thunderstorm as it melts into a sunset. These and countless other examples show me just a grain of sand-sized picture of just how big our God is. Long ago, this God reached out to one of his creation, a guy named Moses, and asked him to do a job for him. But Moses paused and said to our awesome God, but I don't know your name. That's when God gave the human race his business card and said, my name is I Am. It was his way of saying, I exist by myself. Nobody made me. I don't depend on anything else. I didn't come from anywhere, and I'm not going anywhere. And most of all, Moses, I'm here with you. Well, thousands of years have passed since that moment. It's not Moses now. It's you and me living in a scary world. But we still hear his voice saying, I still am. I exist on the other side of this. I was there when it all began. Not a hair on your head that I haven't counted. My thoughts of you outnumber stars and sand. I know it even when a sparrow falls. Because I love you, I say through it all. To 
amazing thing to you about this God. I'm blown away by the things he does, but to me, the most amazing thing about him is that he's personal. He could see me just as one in a crowd, but instead, he sees me. He sees you. He knows our names. He knows what we think about, what we care about, what we dream, who we love, and why we cry. You know, I want to tell you something, that while it's true, it's the hardest thing for me to grasp. He wants to be closer to you and me even more than we want to be close to Him. He is the God whose love chases us. I exist on the other side of this. I was there when it all began. Not a hair on your head that I haven't counted. My thoughts of you outnumber stars and sand I know it even when a sparrow falls Because I love you I say through it all To be still and know that I still am Be still and know that I still am Can you hear his tender voice speaking your name? Be still and know that I still am? Be still, that means rest. Maybe our most common word for that is relax. God is saying, relax and know that I still am. The creator who made it all, who manages the universe, the one who directed this morning's sunrise is saying to you, don't lose me in all of your stress, let go of it. Relax, let me handle it. You can close your eyes for a while and know that I still am. Yes, I exist on the other side of this. I was there when it all began. Not a hair on your head that I haven't counted. My thoughts of you outnumber stars and sand. I know it even when a sparrow falls Because I love you, I say through it all To be still and know that I still am So be still and know that I still am But then something happened to the Creator's awesome world. His beloved creation chose to rebel against Him, and our beautiful earth home was wrecked by sin. Bad things happened. Broken people in a broken world felt the pain. You and I know that all too well. We feel it too. But the God who loves us didn't leave us. He joined us in our pain. He came into our world born as a tiny baby, and He rescued us. Jesus, Creator God, paid our penalty. He pulled back the curtain for a whole new future. And then he said he was going back to heaven to prepare a place for us. When it was ready, he'd come back and take us there. Do you feel what I feel? It's getting closer every day. Oh yeah, we know the darkness. We feel the pain, but it's all temporary. We hear his voice calling our name. 
be still and know I still am. You exist on the other side of this. You there when it all began. Not a hair on my head that you haven't counted. Your thoughts of me outnumber the stars and sand. You know it even when a sparrow falls. Cause you love me, you say through it all. To be still and know. I love the job that God has given me, communicating for Him, and I pray that I'm always faithful to preach His message and not mine. But there are moments when I get a message from God, and I know it's special. It's going to stand out to those who will let it. And that always makes me both excited and awestricken. and today, I have such a moment. If you're a Christ follower living in 2020, you have a question that you're struggling with today, and God has sent me with your answer. That question in your mind and my mind has come up because we're watching what's happening as crisis after crisis pancakes on our nation. And I know that many of you are watching outside the United States. You're watching these crises pancake, not just on the United States, but the entire world. An epidemic has struck and experts are all over the page telling us one thing one day and the opposite the next. Our economy is incoherent and workers are wondering if they're going to have a job. Some of our leaders, thankfully not all, are even worse because one moment they're acting like dictators and the next moment they're insanely permissive. One set of rules for one situation and a totally different for another. And some of them unfortunately lie to our faces. They know they're lying, they know we know they're lying and yet it doesn't stop them. And in the midst of all these problems, the unresolved sin of racism is facing us yet again and our nation is torn apart. And the one thing that's clear to me so very clear, is that we don't have the answers. And as if that's not enough, our courts issue decisions that threaten to create a dystopia of evil. And these are just some of the problems that face us. Honest, clear-thinking people watch what's going on, and we feel like the writer of Ecclesiastes when he lamented, what is wrong cannot be made right. What's missing can't be recovered. Do you feel that today? What's wrong can't be fixed, and what's missing can't be recovered. I mean, when we look at our economy and human relationships and politics and courts of law, we feel that way. And in relation to courts of law, the prophet Isaiah, who always speaks frankly, it's as if he's talking to our times about our courts of law. In Isaiah 59 verse 14, Isaiah writes, Our courts oppose the righteous, and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets, and honesty has been outlawed. Whoa, honesty has been outlawed. 
Yes, he says, truth is gone, and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. No doubt about it. That's where we are at least here in the United States and probably around the entire world, there are problems everywhere and solutions are unavailable. And and that takes us to the question that I started this message with that we're all asking. It goes something like this. What in the world can we do? The Bible puts it even more eloquently than I possibly could. In Psalm 11, verse 3, the question is asked, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? What in the world can we do? But some of us are asking that question in an even more defined sense. Here at New Spring, we're in a series called Signs of the Times, and we've been looking at the scriptures about God's communication about the end times. We know we're living in the last days. In case you didn't get to see the first message, I would encourage you to go back and watch it, because there's no doubt about it. Because of what the Bible prophesies, we know we're in the end of the last days, actually. We understand where we're going here. The world is heading for the seven-year-long convulsion that Scripture calls the tribulation period. And once again, in week one, we saw that a world dictator, Antichrist is what the Bible calls him, a world dictator is coming. And he's going to build a single world government, and that final dictatorship will result in all the world worshiping Satan. And there's no doubt about it. It's taking shape right before our eyes. And God has left us so many signs to know that we are getting close. You know, Jesus said something very interesting about this. In his sermon on this, we call it the Olivet Discourse. When Jesus talked about the end times, he indicated that there would be a generation that would see all the signs. I mean, clearly, there have been signs of Jesus coming for several hundred years at least. But Jesus said there would be one generation that would see all the signs, and that that generation would not pass until he returned. Well, that seems to be us. You know, in thinking about signs of the times, I I grew up in church, as some of us did. My dad was actually a pastor, and I've heard preaching about the return of Jesus, and, and I've heard pastors tell about the signs that would accompany the return of Christ. To be honest with you, you know, I've always been a little bit of a skeptic. I would hear my dad preach, and I would say, well, I don't exactly see everything coming together. I see a few things, but I don't see everything coming together. And even in the early days of my pastorate, I would see some of the signs of Jesus' return, but it didn't exactly seem to fully measure up. I see us right now with all the signs lining up. I I thought about this illustration. You know, when you fly on an airplane, you may be about 100, 150 miles away from your destination. You feel the nose tip down, and you know we're beginning to descend. And then there's that moment where the captain will ask the flight attendants to go through the cabin one last time. But I'm always looking forward to that moment where you feel the pilot lining up with the runway. There's a little waggle of wings because you know you're getting set up for the landing. And that's what I feel. I mean, I feel like as I look back in the early part of my life, I mean, the nose was tipping down. We could feel some of the signs of the time. And then we knew we were very close as we saw the Six-Day War in 1967 and some of the other things happening. But in 2020, I feel like the pilot is lining up with the runway. Here's my concern with this message. While the world's busy throwing up its hands because of problems with no solutions, those of us who read the signs of the times can do the same thing for the same reasons, but we feel even more helpless because we know by the signs of the times that it's going to get worse and not better. And we can ask for all these reasons, what in the world can we do? 
I mean, I talk to Christians today, and there's a sense of helplessness. There's a sense of, we just don't know if there's anything that we can do. Well, as I said at the beginning of this message, God has sent me here with your answer today. And here it is. And take a deep breath because God has a long list. And by the way, isn't it great to know just at the beginning of this message that in these times, we're not helpless. In fact, the big question for us is not exactly when will Jesus return, but Peter puts it this way. He talks about the signs of the time and describes them pretty eloquently. And then he says this, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? That's the question for us today. It's not exactly when Jesus will return, but while we're waiting, what kind of people should we be? And that goes right to the question, what in the world can we do? I want to give you five things that you can do today. And this first one may sound a little strange, but it comes directly from Jesus, so I know it's true. And here it is. Get excited about the future. You could say, well, Mark, I don't feel very excited today. I understand that. When you look around, when you look horizontally, there's not a whole lot to get excited about. But again, this one comes directly from Jesus, our commander in chief. One more time, when Jesus was describing the events of the last days, he said this, when these things begin to happen, well, that happened a long time ago, but he said, when these things begin to happen, look up. <laughs> the, Greek is, the, the Greek word there is an interesting word. It means unfold. And Jesus goes on, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Now, here's what Jesus was saying. When all these signs begin to happen, unfold yourself and lift up your heads. Why did he feel the need to say that? Well, we know the answer to that. With all the bad things that are happening today, it's the inclination that we all feel to just sort of fold up and look down. But Jesus said, unfold and look up. One Greek scholar that I read said, in literal terms, Jesus was saying, be elated. <laughs> well, someone could say, and I'm right there with you, Mark, I don't feel elated. But something happened to me last week that was kind of personal, maybe too personal to share, but I just feel like I need to share it with you on this point of Jesus. I was in the middle of the night. I woke up maybe about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I was so depressed about all the things that were happening in our world. As the writer of Ecclesiastes wrote earlier in this message, I felt like there were just so many broken things that could not be fixed. You know, I've dealt with anxiety all my life, and I think one of the great anxieties is just the fear of death. I mean, I know I'm saved, but there's just something that's in my wiring that I've always been afraid of death. And I remember praying that night. I said, Lord, I've, I've always been, you know, afraid of coming to that crossing. But I said, I'm, I'm finding myself in the place where I'm not, a, I'm not as afraid of that anymore. And, and it was because I was just so depressed about our times. Now, there have been a few times in my life when it's been very clear that the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and it was one of those times. He didn't say it out loud, but as I lay in my bed praying about the darkness of our times, it was as if the Holy Spirit said, but I built you for these times. Well, that really had a big impact on me because I said, well, God, if you built me for these times, I'm going to turn over and go back to sleep and get up in the morning and get back to work. And I don't think it's just for me that the Holy Spirit says this. It's no accident that you and I have been born in the times that we're living in. And I think we could all hear the Holy Spirit say to those of us who are Christ's followers, but I built you for these times. Now, there's only one way that you and I can get excited. 
We're not going to get excited by watching the news. We're not going to get excited by looking at all the problems. Hebrews 12, 2 puts it this way, and this is in the Amplified. Looking away from all that will distract to Jesus, who is the leader and the source of our faith. The only way that you and I can be elated is to keep our eyes on Jesus. You know, having been here 35 years, old-time New Springers remember me through various seasons of life. And one of the things that real old-time New Springers will remember is that for many years, I was afraid to fly. I have a severe acrophobia. I'm afraid of heights. And I never flew till I was 35. I used to joke about it all the time in sermons. It was kind of the standing joke in our church. Of course, in the last few decades, I spent way too much time in airplanes. But in those early days of flying, I was a nervous Nelly. Now, back then, in the early 90s, I was almost constantly flying back and forth to Atlanta. I served on the board of directors for a Christian organization there, and it was always back and forth to Atlanta. I remember on that Delta route, there was a pilot, a Delta pilot, a well-seasoned pilot in his 50s. Now, that sounds young to me, but I was in my 30s at the time, so he, he clearly looked older to me. He, he was a pilot who flew that route often, and I was used to him. I even talked to him a few times. I remember especially one night we were flying home in a really vicious thunderstorm. The plane was pitching and jerking, and sometimes it would drop dramatically and unexpectedly. And all of a sudden, there was an especially hard bump, and the cabin door popped open. And from my seat angle, I could see it was this pilot who flew that route so many times. He had his head turned back to talk to a flight attendant, and I could see he was calm. I mean, not only was he calm, he was laughing over something funny that the flight attendant had said. A minute or so later, his unruffled voice came over the intercom. Now, folks, we're experiencing a little turbulence. I thought to myself, if the captain's not worried, what am I going to pieces for? Well, if you're overwhelmed today in 2020, I want to encourage you to get a glimpse of our captain in the cockpit. You can get excited about the future because the signs of the time say Jesus is on his way and our captain is unruffled. Here's the second thing that we can do. This one deserves a whole sermon, maybe a whole series. It's so important, but we'll just spend a little time here today. The second thing that you can do is hold on to your faith. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, there is a strange statement. God's people are going through very hard times, just like many of God's people in our world are going through hard times. And by the signs of the time, we could go through some tough things as Christians in the United States. So here's what God says to this people, these Christians in this time frame. Do not throw away, which means to discard as worthless, do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Or, or in essence, what God is saying is, don't throw your faith away. That's really a reasonable statement since faith is the very basis of our relationship with God. Faith is what gets us into heaven. Why would God need to tell us in hard times not to throw our faith away? Well, let's take a deep breath here. Most Bible-believing Christians know that Antichrist is coming. But do we know what comes right before Antichrist comes? In the book of 2 Thessalonians, God is sketching out for us the end times. Now, the Bible says that day will not come. What day is the Bible talking about here? It's talking about the day when Jesus Christ makes everything right. That day will not come unless... The falling away comes first, and the man of sin, Antichrist, is revealed. Now, think about the order. There are two things the Bible tells us have to happen before Jesus can reestablish the world. 
The Antichrist is revealed. Well, that's what begins the tribulation. But notice that before the Antichrist is revealed, which probably refers to the times that we're living in, right before the Antichrist comes, the Bible says there will be a falling away. Literally, what it's saying is many people who follow Jesus, or at least claim to follow Jesus, will check out. The word falling away, or the Greek word for falling away there, is apostasia. We get our word apostasy from it. There are actually two Greek words there that are jammed together in that. The, the Greek word stasis, which means to stand or to stay, and apo, the prefix, means away. In effect, what it means is people who used to stand in a particular place don't stand there anymore. They move away from where they used to stand. It's interesting. This could be a common word for divorce. Well, that's really beginning to happen in our times. In fact, there's, there's even a modern cultural term that people are using for people moving away from their faith. The term is deconstruction. It seems like news organs are telling almost every day about some famous Christian. Lord knows we could use fewer of those. But they're always telling us about some famous Christian who is deconstructing. In other words, this author, this Christian musician, this minister is moving away from faith and claiming that they no longer believe in God. I get asked about it sometimes from media personalities as if to say, doesn't it worry you that this is a trend? And they will indicate maybe your message is no longer reasonable for our times. Maybe your message is falling apart because some famous Christian author or musician doesn't believe anymore. No, it doesn't make me give up. It causes me to double down because God said this was going to happen. Scripture says, before Antichrist comes, there is going to be a great divorce, a great falling away. Paul talks about it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And he says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. Let's call it like it is. The times that we're living in are going to make obvious who's real and who's fake. I mean, there are people whose commitment to Jesus Christ is real and the Holy Spirit lives within them. There are some who've just kind of been attracted to the message, but they've never really fully committed their lives to Jesus Christ. And here's the thing about this kind of world that we're living in right now. It's going to be a dividing point between those who are real and those who are not. As I said, we could stay here for hours because this is something that Jesus talked about a lot when he was on the earth. So let me just close this part of the message with what Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. He told a story about a field of wheat. We know about that here in Kansas. He tells about a farmer that planted seeds for wheat. But someone who didn't like him, an enemy of this farmer, went in and planted weeds. And I understand that there's a particular plant that looks a whole lot like wheat. I've heard that it's called the Darnell plant. I don't know that much about it. But there's a particular plant that looks pretty similar to wheat. The only problem is there's no real grain in the head. Well, Jesus said that there, the farmer recognized that there were both wheat and weeds in the field. And, and one of the servants said, should we pull up the weeds? And the farmer said, don't do that, because if you pull up the weeds, you might disturb the actual wheat. And he said, there will be a day of harvest. And the day of harvest, God would know the difference. Well, there's no doubt that in these last days, the heat's going to be turned up on those who follow Jesus. <laughs> but I'm determined not to be part of the great divorce. I don't want to wander away from Jesus. I don't want these times to cause me, 
like the book of Hebrews says, to throw away my confidence. Well, my time is almost gone, and I need to give you three more, and I need to do it quickly. So let me do my best to give you these three more things that we can do in these times that's so critical. Number three, the third thing in our list, is to stay in church. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner, that word manner means habit, as is the habit of some, but exhorting one another. In other words, in other words, encouraging each other to, to do greater things, exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Basically, what God is saying here is, don't miss church. And the closer you get to the coming of the Lord, the more faithful that we need to be in attending church and being with other believers. I know this one's a little complicated today because of the coronavirus thing. But someday that threat will be resolved, I pray. Here is something that we need to remember, because during this coronavirus, of course, many of us are, as we are today, watching online. And online is a great opportunity. I'm so thankful for it, because it allows our church service to go around the world. But I want to make something really very clear. The very word church itself means assembly. You know, during this time, I've seen people put the quote on social media, and it's a correct quote, the quote that the church is not a building. That's true but it is an assembly. In fact, Jesus said upon this rock, the word of God, he would build his assembly. Now, scripture indicates that in the last days, many would quote, forsake, or literally, it means to leave behind without going back for it. In other words, in the last days, there would be people that would say, well, I used to go to church, I used to be part of gathering with God's people, but now I've just sort of left it back there at some point. Did you ever like go on a trip and take off and forget something? And you know how it is, you've gone a few miles down the road and someone in the car asks, should we go back home and get it? And then there's the answer, nah, it's not that important. That's exactly what God is saying. God is saying that in the last days, some people will leave behind attending worship and say, I'm not gonna go back and get that. It's just not that important. Well, God says, is that it is that important. Let me tell you why. When God's people gather together, there is power. And you don't want to lose that power. You'll need it more in the last days than you ever did. One more time, I need to speak something very clearly. I understand we are complicated today because of the coronavirus, and we're about to reopen our campus. I'm not trying to put pressure on anyone to attend who doesn't feel comfortable or ready to do that. All I'm saying is there is power in gathering with God's people. And when this moment passes and we're actually able to gather again, we need to be more faithful than we have ever been in these last days. I say this because in this season, some of us may have gotten just a little too comfortable with watching online and being at home. It's always a great resource when you have it, when you're sick or when you're traveling. But you need the power that is available when God's people gather together. Scripture tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. This kind of question is way over my pay grade. But when I look at the brokenness that America is experiencing right now, I have to wonder deep in my heart, are we missing the power that comes with God's people gathering together? I don't know the answer to that. I just know that it's so important as we get close to the coming of the Lord to gather together with other believers. Number four, 
We need to deal with anything in your life that's out of order. Remember, we've asked the question, what in the world can we do? Well, as we're getting ready for Jesus to come back, we're keeping our eyes on the captain in the cockpit. You know, as we're being faithful in all these areas, you know, making sure we don't lapse in our faith and we're gathering together with other believers, it's really important for us to examine our lives and deal with anything that's out of order. In 1 John chapter 3, the Bible says, all of us who look forward to his coming stay ready with the glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for our own. One translation says, we purify ourselves even as he is pure. In other words, if there's anything dirty in our lives, we want to get it clean before Jesus comes back. I mean, you wouldn't go to a major event in your life. You wouldn't even go out for a date with filthy clothes. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming. And we want our lives to be clean and pure when he comes back. Peter puts it this way, and so dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. In other words, you, you and I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but we want to be looking at our lives every day to say, am I ready for his return? Is there something I'm allowing in my life, some attitude, some habits, some sin, some embarrassing thing that, you know, I would be embarrassed if Jesus came while I was doing this. We want to make sure those things are out of our lives since we don't know when Jesus is coming back. A lot of the lessons I learned in my life, I learned from a man named Mr. Haggard. He was a manager of the little men's shop that I worked in when I was in college. He was a lifelong manager of this particular store. And he had hired a lot of us who were college kids. Frankly, most of the kids who worked there were kids who were students at a local seminary studying for the ministry. I hate to admit this, but a lot of those ministry students were the laziest people I ever met in my life. They, they weren't really interested in selling clothes and doing a good job for the store. They were just trying to get some money, you know, and, and you know, they were just trying to finish out the day and, and make a little money. I remember, though, Mr. Hagger would leave sometimes, and, and, and so he would be presumed to come back at a particular time. Maybe he was going to come back at 6 o'clock in the evening. And about 10 till 6, all of those young students would get very busy suddenly and start straightening things up. But Mr. Hagger was really smart. He knew what was happening, and so he was really good at coming at an unexpected time when the store wasn't ready for his return. I remember in those days, I used to think to myself, I don't know when he's coming back, so if I'm not selling, I'm going to straighten stock because I want to be ready when he comes back. And maybe this is too personal. But one thing's kind of interesting. As those months went by that I worked for that store, he would turn over more and more responsibility to me because he knew I wasn't just trying to kiss up to him and have the store ready when he showed up. I wanted the store to be ready all the time. And I really believe that's what the Bible is telling us, is that we don't know when Jesus is coming back, but we need to look at our lives. And if anything is not right, we want to make sure that we are right and ready for when he comes back. Well, we've asked the question, what in the world can we do? I want to go now to this fifth and final thing. This one is especially important for everyone who follows Jesus, and especially those of you who really get it. You know the times we're living in? You see the signs of the time? In metaphorical terms, you're already at the airport, you've been through security, you're at the gate, you know the flight's about to be called. In fact, you're not even sitting in the gate anymore, you're standing there waiting for the gate attendant to call your boarding zone. In other words, you know Jesus could come any minute now. Now, 
It's so easy for us who are waiting for Jesus to return any minute. It's so easy for us to get locked into thinking in terms of us and them. But it's so clear because all we have to do is watch the news and see how people are thinking and behaving and how many of them are anti-God and anti-Christ. And so for us, it's so easy to say, well, I know I'm saved. I'm getting ready for Jesus to come back. And so here I am. I'm just waiting any moment for him to come back. And of course, those people on the outside, they're where they are. I guess they'll be forever lost. That is a huge mistake to think like that. We've asked the question, what in the world can we do? Number five, since you're going to heaven, try to get somebody to go with you. I want to show you something really amazing in the Bible. If you wanted to find the rapture, now we talked about that week one, that's when Jesus comes back at the beginning of the tribulation and all the believers, those who have died and those who are yet living on the earth, which could be us, go instantly to be with God. So if you wanted to find the rapture in the Bible, where would you go? Well, there's several places. In fact, quite a few places that talk about this return of Jesus. But the best, I think, is 1 Thessalonians chapters 4, watch this, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, where Paul says, you know, I want you to know what's happened to those who have died so that you won't lose hope. And he said, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with him. And, and, and that's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But do you know what the verse says that comes right before the Bible gives the best explanation of the rapture? It's 1 Thessalonians 4.12. And here's what God says. Your way of life will win respect from those outside the church. Now think about that. Right before the Bible tells us about the rapture, the Bible is challenging us to make sure that our life is a great reflection of Jesus to those who don't know him. In other words, the Bible is saying, Christian, make sure your life doesn't turn somebody who doesn't have a ticket away. You and I know. There are going to be many who will remain hostile. Hatred for Christ, hatred for Christians is growing all around the world. And someone may be part of that listening today. And you hear this message and you just say, I reject everything you're saying. I reject the Bible. I reject Christ. You Christians are a problem. Well, I, I, I want to say to you, if that's how you feel, don't let me be too much of a burden because we are about to go our separate ways. But before we do, could I ask you one more time, wouldn't you consider going with us? The Bible tells us all of us who are Christ followers need to be very serious about inviting everybody we can to go with us, and not only inviting them, but living the kind of life that shows the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. You know, yesterday I was talking to a lady at New Spring, a very godly lady who is dealing with cancer. And of course, she doesn't know when the Lord is going to call her home. And by the way, neither do you and I. And the doctors have said months. So while she could think clearly, she wanted to plan her memorial service. And as she was talking to me about the message, she said something that really stood out to me. As she faces eternity with wonderful courage, she said, I have members of my family. I'm not sure they're ready to go. And she asked me, will you preach the gospel in that service. And of course, I always do. But she's such a glowing example to us 
I mean, I, as I share with her, we talked a lot about signs of the times. We said, well, you know, Jesus could come at any moment. We'll go up together and the doctor's diagnosis won't matter so much. But here is the thing. She knows one way or the other that she's facing eternity, most likely pretty, pretty soon. And yet this dear Christian lady who follows Jesus was saying, I want to make sure that my family goes with me. You know, it's always been an amazement to me as a minister of the gospel that many people who are Christian will not talk to the people they love the most. They, they might share their faith with a complete stranger, but sometimes they're so reluctant to share their faith with the people in their lives who need Jesus, whom they love so much. Well, that's our list today. You know, we've asked the question, what in the world can we do? I think we feel that question today. As we said, like the writer of Ecclesiastes, stuff that's broken can't be fixed. What in the world can we do? And yet the Bible gives us this wonderful list. Get excited. Hold on to your faith. Double down on church. Purify your life. And try to get somebody to go with you. You know, I'm going to just focus on number five for a moment. And I'm going to try to get anybody who's not sure they're going today. I'm going to try to get somebody to get a ticket. Because the good news is you don't have to buy it. Your ride to heaven is completely free. Whenever Jesus comes back, you can be part of the group who goes to be with him. The Bible tells us that your ticket was paid for by Jesus Christ. You know, you and I, we, there's no way we could buy our way into heaven. We could take all our money. We could, we could convert all of our assets. We could borrow everything we could get our hands on. And it still wouldn't buy five seconds in heaven. Bible tells us that no one's good enough on his or her own. Scripture says we're all sinners and there's no one righteous. That means no one good enough. But guess what? God wanted us to go. And so he made a way for you to have a ticket. Jesus Christ, his son, came into the world. He lived that life that you can't live. In other words, he earned what you and I could never earn. I mean, he lived 33 years, never did one thing wrong, did everything right. And then after living that perfect life, he worked out a trade. He worked out a way so that all your wrong, all my wrong could be moved to his account. Think about that. Think about every sin, every wrong thing, every wrong thought, every, every wrong thing that we've ever done every day of our life. And the way God looked at it, all of that was moved over and placed in the account of Jesus Christ as if he had done everything wrong that you and I had ever done. You see, the way God looked at it, if he could pay for everything we did wrong and he could transfer his righteousness to our account, then we wouldn't have any sin in our account. And all we would have is the righteousness Jesus earned. That's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. He paid for all that sin that was clicked and dragged to his account. And so, because my sins have been paid for, he could click and drag his righteousness and move it under my name. Wow. That's the miracle of the cross. And three days later, he walked out of his grave under his own power to prove that everything he said was true. And God was saying, if you want a ticket, it's a gift. You can't earn it, but you can receive a gift. You can receive that perfect life Jesus lived for you. 
And you can receive his payment on the cross. And since he rose from the grave, you can believe. You can put your confidence in him. You can rest on him. In other words, you can put your whole weight on that message. Trust in what Jesus did for you. And the Bible says your sins will be washed away and your name will be written in the census book of heaven. And when Jesus comes, you'll go. If you want that to happen right now, what God's looking for is a big yes, but I'd love to just kind of coach you in a prayer. And these are not magic words, but if you'll say them from your heart, God will hear your prayer. You ready? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus lived the perfect life that I can't live. I believe he died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. I ask you to forgive me and make me your child. I want that ticket for heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray with me, if you're here in the continental United States, we have a gift we would like to send you. Inside this box is a Bible just like I preach from, a book I wrote that will answer a lot of questions, and just some other cool stuff. All you have to do to get it is text prayed the word prayed, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000, and we'll get this to you. If you're outside the continental United States, we have an electronic version of the book, and all you have to do is text prayed, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. Well, we've been talking about the return of Jesus, and I challenged our worship team. I said, you know, there aren't that many songs about Jesus' return, and you already heard one of the songs that's original that they've worked on. You heard it earlier in the broadcast today. We're going to close out with a brand new song that our worship team has written called The Appearing. This time as a lion 
So come.